Welcome to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast aims to bring the sermon from our Sunday morning services to you each and every week. We are currently in our sermon series, Stories of Christmas. In this series, we are walking through Luke 2 and the stories of different people who played a role in the Christmas story. From Mary and Joseph to the shepherds and the Magi, each of these stories will culminate in the birth of Jesus. So join us as we share the stories of Christmas. If you want to grab your Bibles and open to Luke chapter 2. Uh, we also have the passage on the screen. We're going to work through uh, the last half of that, verses 8 through 20 this morning. Uh, but Luke chapter 2, and also there's the app, the um, Church Center app that has the, the notes. So if you would rather type those notes in, if you're real digital and that's your, that's your jam, you can type those in there. You can also go old school and write them down on the worship guide that you have. Uh, there, that, that old school penmanship thing, maybe you, maybe you enjoy that. Uh, we're working through, over the next several weeks, as, as we walk through the Christmas season, these stories of Christmas. As we said last week, it seems kind of different to say stories because there's really just the story of Christmas, right? But in this, in, in the, what we're working through is we're really slowing down to look at the individuals who make up this story of Christmas. All these different individuals that we find around the nativity to kind of slow down and meditate. And in essence, really just kind of meditate on the story of Christmas. To slow down and say, who, who are these individuals that we find at the nativity, that we find there that, are, that surround the Messiah and the manger, to slow down and look at their faces and, and understand the stories of these individuals. And in so doing, to kind of understand God's glory, to see God's glory more clearly, to learn more deeply about his sovereignty and his purpose and his power, his provision, his grace and his love for us as his, as his creation, as he sends the creator into the world. And so far we've talked about Mary and Joseph. And this week, uh, as Miss Julia said, we're going to talk about the shepherds. We're going to kind of turn as we work through this Luke chapter, this Luke passage, this traditional uh, Christmas passage, and look at the shepherds. And, and really there's something interesting about them, what happens for the shepherds as the angels come and, and they declare that Christ is born is that there's an invitation that I want us to see as we kind of read through this passage. An invitation that I think that we'll kind of make some observations of. And if you're following along on the worship guide, there's, there's seven observations uh, that we'll work through. And so uh, for those of you who know me, that means we'll be here till tomorrow uh, as we work through. No, I'm just joking. We're not going to be there that long. Uh, but we're, we're going to make seven observations from this passage of, of, the, of the invitation that the angels give to the shepherds and how they respond to it. And so, if you, again, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read through this passage to begin with. Beginning in, in verse Verse 8, Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says this. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left, 
gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned and glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your word. That in your word, you have shown us who you are and you give us everything that we need to know about you so that we can know you and have relationship with you. Your word, you tell us that this is eternal life, that we would know the Father. And you give us your word so that we can know you. And even this passage in Luke, as, as Luke writes it, God, he, gives, he tells Theophilus that, that he's, so that you may be sure of the things. And so you've given us this word, specifically even these words, that we can be sure of who you are. So this morning, as we meditate on this passage, as we open up these, as we work through this passage and open up your word, God, we pray that you would open our hearts and open our eyes and open our minds to be able to see you and understand you and experience you. We submit our lives to you and to your word because we believe that it's our authority, not us and authority over it. So as we learn from it, God, we pray that we would take these lessons And they would transform our lives in the way that we live, not just in this room, but outside of this place. It's in Christ's strong and mighty name that we pray. Amen and amen. Again, we're going to work through a couple of observations that we see in this passage about this invitation to the shepherds. And the first one, if you're following along either on the app or or old school on on the worship guide, the first observation I want to begin with is that it's an invitation that prompts fear. It's an invitation that prompts fear. And if you think about the scene, right, if you think about just kind of what's going on, slowing down just a little bit to understand what's happening on this hillside outside the city of Bethlehem, it's nighttime. It tells us that it's nighttime. And when we talk about nighttime in the ancient Near East, right, we're talking about nighttime. Some of you have gone to where there's not this, the whole uh, light pollution, right, where, you've, where you don't have all of the lights from the city that kind of pollute the skyline. I've been in Brazil uh, once, and we were on the Amazon River and in a boat on the Amazon River. It's part of the trips. If you ever want to go on a trip to the Amazon, it is one of the greatest trips uh, that you could go on, literally a mission trip that, that is unlike any other mission trip. But part of the, part of the time is that you, sp- you sleep on, you live on the boat as you float down the river and, and stop in on villages. And at night, it is, it is like no other scene. Stars that you see, the, the, the Milky Way, I mean, it is like no other scene. And so picture the darkest night that you could experience. Now, sure, in the city of Bethlehem, because travelers are returning under the instruction of Caesar to their hometown, there's probably lights flickering in the town. Maybe there's a fire that's, that's surrounding the, the shepherds. But the darkness in the fields outside of the city of Bethlehem are dark. It's dark. And so into that darkness, 
these men that are watching the fields at night are sitting there. And, and, and it tells us just kind of thinking about who these men are, right? Just again, just to slow down, we, we've got this picture of just how dark it is. But who are these men that are sitting outside in these fields at night on the outskirts of the city? And these shepherds, who are they? Well, and, and if you really just kind of understand just a little bit, they're, they're, these are self-sufficient men, Right, men that can live out in the elements, that can live on their own, kind of on the outskirts of town. They don't have a roof, a shelter over their head. They're sleeping under the stars. I mean, these are, these are manly, manly men. Unlike me, even though I wear this shirt that makes me look like a lumberjack, I don't sleep outside under the stars unless something very disastrous happened. So they've learned how to live in the fields. They've learned, they've learned to be men who are sturdy and who, who, who have calluses on their hands. They're, they're courageous with this staff in their hands that they face the darkness and the danger of the predators that, that would surround them at night and, and as they protect their sheep. And it says in verse 9, into that darkness, these men who are, who are strong, sturdy men, that an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they we're terrified. And you think about, think about it, it, what, what's happened and remind ourselves just as we, as we work through this. A lot of times I think that we get so familiar with these stories, right? You set up your nativity scene in your house and the shepherds are there. Maybe you've heard the story. Maybe you go all the way old school. Maybe you're real old school and you remember felt board, right? If, I mean, any of y'all remember felt boards? If you don't, you didn't miss out on much. We, we had these little stories that we would tell and then felt board and it was sticking out. I would like try to steal those things. Anyway, it was bad days. But I think we get so familiar that we really miss some of what's going on and it becomes the background noise and we forget to grasp. We don't actually grasp what's going on here. I mean, we sing the songs about this, right? We sang just as the beginning that what is the song that you're singing? What, what's the reason why you're singing this song, shepherds? And certainly these shepherds in the fields at night had experienced this heart-pounding kind of move, the rush and the hurry towards the, towards the sound of distress from their sheep. And, and maybe they've, they've encountered wolves and, and coyotes or lions or what, whatever, whatever is in the, in the woods there or in the, in the, in the wilderness where they're, where they're taking care of these sheep. But not ever, never, not once, never have these men who are in the fields at night Experience the jolt of surprise that comes when an angel of the Lord appears to them out of nowhere. And the light that accompanies this, this angel appears to them from, from where they had nothing existed before. And so they were terrified and they had a right to be terrified. Right? They join a long list of people throughout Scripture who are terrified. Remember, we, we said this the first week, that every time an angel appears to someone in Scripture, what's the first thing that the angel says? Don't be afraid. Right? Be, why? Because they're afraid. And you can imagine that into the darkness where maybe it was quiet at that moment, even though there's sounds from the city, maybe it was a little bit quiet, and out of nowhere this angel of this mighty angel of the Lord appears to them. And in that moment, they're terrified. There's a couple of things that I think we've got to see from, from, that, from, this, from this moment of this prompts fears. First is that the response is natural, right? The response is natural. This incredible angel shows up, and, that, and, and that's what you're supposed to do. That obviously, from Scripture, we know that this is a natural response. The, secondly thing, the second thing is that, that I would say even more importantly, it's the correct response 
As one, one commentator says, that the shepherds were terrified. Of course they were. So wide was the gap between God and man that whatever information this angelic messenger was to dispatch, the deliverer seemed more than likely to have bad news than good news. And not only was it terrifying because he appeared, but the fact that an angel of the Lord appeared, that they, they had good reason to be afraid because at least at some part that it had been that they recognized in the angel's appearance in this moment the grandness, the greatness, the glory of God. They recognized the power of God. They recognized the holiness of God. They recognized his righteousness and all of those things. And, and it, in that moment, it, it had a, dark, a stark contrast to their own, to their own righteousness and holiness, to their own power. As they recognized God's presence in the, in the presence of this angel, they recognized that there's something wholly unlike them in front of them. And I love that Luke begins in this place, that he begins with this, in, in, this story as they appear to, to let us know that they were terrified. Because I, I know personally lots of individuals who are self-sufficient, who live kind of self-sufficient lives, who feel like they, 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 they have it all figured out. But I don't care how fearless you might be, how self-sufficient you think you are. When the presence of God, when the perfection and the power and the holiness and the glory and the greatness of God appears before you, there's no other response that's appropriate than you understanding just how small and feeble you are. How broken and in need you are, exposing that sin and that darkness in our own hearts. And so they have the proper response it does prompt fear. Secondly, as we continue, the shepherds see this invitation, it prompts fear. But secondly, it's an invitation that comes to outsiders. The role of a shepherd was a, was a rough role. It was a tough job. And lots of different things kind of come along. There's not, I can't, we can't talk about all of it, but it wasn't just a kind of a full-time job. And I know some of you, uh, I remember when I was a kid, I just, I couldn't wait until I could just go to work. I, th I thought my dad, all he does is like, and, and if he listens to this later on, uh, he can laugh at me for this, and I'll admit that I was wrong. But I, I, I thought that he would just go to work, and then he'd come back, and then he had nothing to do. Like, right, what a life. Wasn't that awesome, right? I go to school. I got homework. I got all these things to do. It's, it's going to be awesome to get a job and just go to work and then come home and have nothing to do. I was wrong, right? And so many of you know exactly how wrong I was. But even still, a shepherd's job is not just a full-time job. It's an all-the-time job. Sheep don't just magically figure out how to take care of themselves. They're always in need of being attended to, to being cared for. And so a shepherd's role was rough because it was an all-the-time job. But it also it made them social outcasts. It made shepherds social outcasts for various reasons. But, I mean, lots of people didn't trust them. But they were, they were people who were separated from society for the most part. Because they lived life apart from everybody. And they were men who, were, who lived in unforgiving elements day and night. They had calloused, hard skin. Men who carried the scent of their work with them. The scent, of, the scent of the elements, the scent of the fires, maybe that they huddled by to keep them warm. But that mostly they carried the scent of the animals that they were with. And so by just the nature of the job, they were social outcasts. Even more troubling is that they became a religious outcast because of the nature of the job that they held. See, what's, what's interesting 
is that the job that they did, that they held, was obviously one that was needed for a society such as we find in the New Testament, the ancient Near East. It was needed to, be she- to, to have shepherds that tended these flocks. But the work that they did in handling and protecting these animals would make them religiously unclean. So they were not only social outcasts, not only were they individuals who had these, these jobs that had them on the fringe of society, but they were on the fringe of the religious society as well. And we'll see this in a second, but they were not even welcomed into the temple without significantly cleaning themselves up, which is pretty incredible when we see in just a moment. So they're outcasts. Third thing, the third observation that, that we see here is that there's this invitation that this comes. It comes to outcasts. It comes to people who are on the fringe of society, but it comes with a promise. If you go back to verse 10, it says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Here's a sign. The baby will be wrapped in clothes and laid in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels and praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and highest heavens and on earth. Peace to those whom favor Dale, I, who, on his favor rest. I love this scene. It goes from one angel showing up and an angel of light, right? He just kind of burst in out of nowhere. He kind of pulls back the curtain in this dark field of this group of outcast shepherds. All at once they see this warrior of light and has them shaking in their boots. And they they can't explain what's going on. And he explains why they don't need to be afraid. And then he he shares that good news with them. And and as if if it wasn't enough for that that one angel to tell them, all of a sudden they find out that, that as he delivers, this message it was too good for all of those angels that were kind of hiding in this behind this somewhat cosmic curtain I guess is the best way to say it that they're hiding behind this cosmic curtain and they have to burst out in song thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels of light from one that terrifies them to thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels of light singing a heavenly chorus all at once Can you imagine still standing on your feet in that moment? If I, I mean, like, I can, if I'm there in the scene, it doesn't record that any of them fainted, but I think that was an oversight from Luke. I promise one of these dudes fainted. How could you stand there? When you realize that all of the sudden, it, it, that, that behind, uh, that there was this whole host, these, this whole army of angels was there, and it was just too much for them. When they heard this one angel, which we assume is Gabriel, when we hear Gabriel give this news, that they could not handle it, that they had to jump in and join in the song. One pastor says this, that evidently one angel could bring the good news, but it would not suffice for one angel to respond to the good news. The meaning of this news, the ultimate outcome of this news, demanded an army of angels to respond. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, what was this news that they were bringing? Why was it so good that the angels had to respond this way? 
And again, this is one of those moments where I think if we don't slow down just a little bit, the reason why we, we, we make this effort to say let's really meditate on this story is because, uh, honestly, if we don't slow down, we miss just how great the gospel significance is in the story that we're reading here. And these six verses, these six lines that are here that tell of the angels kind of sharing this, sharing this story, we miss all of this incredible the incredibleness of this news that, he, that, these, that they are sharing. Because this is an invitation that comes with a long-awaited promise. And these shepherds, they receive this invitation as a personal invitation to themselves. You see, what has the, these angels so worked up, what has these angels so worked up in this moment as they, as they appear to these shepherds is, and they join in the chorus, is they understand the gravity of what's happening they understood how, that how what was being announced was the fulfillment of countless promises and prophecies from all the way back in Genesis 3. That hundreds of times throughout the Old Testament, God had made promises and sent his prophets to prophesy about his, the coming of one who would rescue the people from their sin, that would restore what had been broken. And this angel, this one angel, announces the good news. And these guys can't, can't contain themselves because what they realize is that what was broken in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 was being restored in the manger in the city of Bethlehem. That what had happened, listen, that what had happened in that moment when, when sin entered, when it rushed into the Garden of Eden, was that, that hell had broken loose. Hell had been unleashed on God's perfect creation and caused a crisis for all humanity in every corner of the earth, in every corner of his creation, for all of time. But what was, being, what was happening in this moment as that baby was born and as they were announcing, they were celebrating that fact that heaven had broken loose. That what was broken was being restored. The darkness was being penetrated by the light. That the curse of sin was being reversed. That death was being conquered. And the paradise that was lost was being regained and restored by the child that was in the manger that they were proclaiming. That's why it was such good news. That's why it was deserving of an, of an angel army to declare this beautiful news that God was rescuing his people. It's good news. Again, it's an invitation not only to all people that would bring good. It was not good news of great joy to all people, but it was also an invitation to these shepherds. He says, I bring good news to you that born unto you this day. And isn't it incredible that God in his mercy and grace comes first when he could have gone to anybody. The deserving audience for this announcement was not some shepherds on the hillside. It was kings and wise men. But he went first to some shepherds, outcast, undeserving, on the fringe of society. Praise the Lord, Martin Luther said, praise the Lord. That he went to shepherds first because if he'd have gone to anyone else, I would be too low to receive this message. Listen, we celebrate the fact that God goes to shepherds because we are just like them. We are those who are broken and on the outside of society. We are those who, are, who when recognizing the power and the presence and the beauty and the greatness and the glory of God, recognize our own sinfulness. Right, We're going to talk about this next week when we talk about the Magi. But you know who's not here at this story? All of the religious people who thought they were good. 
But these shepherds didn't think that they were good. These shepherds didn't come in haughty and proud. They came in humbled and realized just how much this news really meant not only to them, but to all humanity and to us today. It is the greatest news of great joy because it is the news of peace that God made with us and himself by sending his only son to be our savior. We want to try to clean ourselves up and act like it's no big deal. But in order for us to really understand this invitation, our hearts have got to be gripped and overwhelmed just like these shepherds were in this darkness and understand just how great our need is and how unworthy we are. Just a quick aside, I I pray that we are also a church that welcomes in the outcast that welcomes in those who feel far away from God, that this is a place that those who this morning feel like they're just too far away from God, or maybe they don't even recognize that they need him this morning, that that they would feel welcomed here. And I pray that by God's grace that there's never a day that I don't proclaim very clearly the, the, the beauty of this gospel, that it's not just you get to clean yourself up, that there's nothing that you could do to make yourself clean, that Christ is the one who did it. It wasn't what the shepherds did to make themselves worthy for the angels to visit and then to go and visit Christ. It's what God did for them, and that's the message of the gospel. And I pray by God's grace that we would be people who welcome people that need to hear that gospel in, and that gospel would always be clearly presented, never watered down. That lives would be transformed as we present it clearly. Let's move on. The fourth, fourth observation. It's an invitation to come and to see. An invitation to come and see. These, these shepherds were told of what would happen. They told, they, the angels told them where they would find the Savior, this Messiah and King. And they gave them an invitation to go. And so check this out. Something, uh, something ironic is happening right here. As they, as they go to to the bedside or to this manger where Jesus is laying in Bethlehem, what we understand from from historical records is that the sheep that were tended in the fields outside of the city of Bethlehem were the sheep that were more than likely used for the yearly offering, uh, uh, for the sacrifice, the offering that would be given for the sins of the people. This would be the atonement sacrifice that was that would be given for the sins of the people in the city of Beth- in the city of Jerusalem. So the city of Jerusalem is like seven miles away from Bethlehem. So these sheep are special sheep. These shepherds have a big job. But again, the nature of their job makes them unclean and not welcome in the very temple that the sheep that they tend will go to be sacrificed. These men who care for these very, very special sheep are men who are not welcomed in the very temple that these sheep will be sacrificed in to to be a sacrifice sufficient for the sins of the people for the year as as that ritual would happen. These angels give these shepherds an invitation to go to the bedside of the Lamb of God. That the shepherds in this field get to go stand next to and behold the lamb that would be the ultimate sacrifice. And they're welcomed there. Where they were not welcomed in a temple, they would not be outsiders to this lamb, to this sacrifice. They would stand at his bedside and wonder in awe that what they had been told was just as they had found it. 
Isn't it incredible, this invitation that they're given to go and to see? And, and just in, in, that, in that moment, they do. They go. They go to see. And, and, and the, fifth kind of, the fifth one of those, fifth observation is that it's worthy of our attention, worthy of our full attention. We're, we are in an age of distraction. It's, it's been called that. I didn't come up with that. That's not my language. But I read recently this study uh, that was published in 2015 uh, that, that, that studied the attention span of humans. And in 2020, they did a test, and, and the attention span of humans uh, in that moment, and I guess this is a small section because they didn't ask me. I feel like it would have been lower. Uh, but the small section of hum- humanity, at that point, they recognized that it was about 12 seconds in 2020. Or, no, excuse me, in, tw- in 2000, in the year 2000. It was about 12 seconds, which seems like a long time uh, ago. And 12 seconds also seems like a long time for somebody who's very ADD. That's me. Fast forward just a couple years, 15 years later, as they, as they redid the study, they, they recognized that now uh, the, the average attention span for humans is about eight seconds. That seems more like, likely uh, for me. But, but the problem with that is that uh, the average attention span for a goldfish is nine seconds. And so currently, we are losing to goldfish, which is a problem, if you, if you don't recognize that. That is a problem. But honestly, I mean, if we think about it, there's always been distractions. This is not new. This is not, I mean, obviously, there's things that fight for our attention. Admittedly, there are things that seem like that's kind of heated up. And if we recognize the truth that there's certainly companies, whole companies that have been exposed recently and in recent years for targeting our attention and controlling what we see. I mean, Netflix says basically their only competition is sleep. Right for, for our attention, like, those are direct words from the CEO of Netflix. So, um, like, there is a battle for our attention. Our, our attention is a battleground and a battle that I, I, would, I would say that not many of us are putting up much of a fight for. That we're not really fighting this, 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 the distractions that, that vie for our attention. But this invitation that's given to, the, to the, these shepherds is an invitation that's worthy of our full attention. Just quickly, you kind of look at what happens. It, as, as, as fast as it blew up and this angels, these angels all showed up and they sing their song, everything kind of closes up and it's quiet and they're no longer there. And the shepherds look at themselves and they're like, we got to go and check this out. Now, they, they leave the fields where they're tending these sheep, and they go to something else, right? And they, it's not like they're, they're less busy in this moment. It's not like there's less things to distract them. They still have before them these sheep that need their attention. They still have things that need to be done around the fields where they're there. But they recognize in that moment that as much as these sheep need their, their attention, there's something that is far greater that's deserving of it. So they leave that field and they run into the city and they get to behold the Son of God in the manger, the Lamb of God, who was sent to take away our sins. Corrie ten Boom says, the devil, if he cannot make you bad, he'll make you busy. And I think we live in that moment where it's like there's not, there, most of the things that are distracting us are not really bad things. They're just things. They're just normal life things. But into that normal life stuff that we all experience, they have our attention and, and, and there's, thing, there's something that's far greater that's deserving of our attention. 
And what for the disciples, it was for them to go and to see Christ. And for us, for you and I this morning, it's that we would take the time to separate from all of the good things, from the lights and the gifts and the parties and, and the traffic. Maybe that's not a good thing, but all of the other things that may be good about Christmas. And pull aside for a moment and listen and see Christ in the midst of all of this. It's an invitation to go and to see, to slow down and to take in this beautiful good news. There may be a thrill that happens when your phone goes off, right? What we hold in our hands and in our pockets, really it's, there's never been in any part of history something that is more exciting, more, more attention-grabbing than these things. Nothing has competed more than, than those phones and those devices, but th- this is a moment. Maybe this begins many more moments of us pulling aside saying, yes, this may be important. There's a thrill that comes in the next news feed or the next alert, but the thrill of hope that caused a weary and broken world to rejoice has come to us and is deserving of our attention. It's an invitation, and six is an invitation that changes everything. We're going to speed through these these last two, but it's an invitation that changes everything. Their lives would never be the same. They had experienced this moment and, and they, had, they had come to see Christ, to experience, heard about him, but they had experienced Christ and their lives would never be the same again. But here's what I want us to, to, to understand because that, that is very clear. But, but here's what I want us to see. They go back to the fields where they came from. All of a sudden, they don't, they don't go see the, the manger. They don't behold the Lamb of God and be like, you know what, I'm too good to be a shepherd now. I'm too good for my neighborhood. I'm too good for the people that I used to hang out with. I've seen the Lamb of God. They go back to the, the, the same fields that they were tending those sheep before. Because, listen, when our lives are transformed by Jesus, those people that were, that were in our lives before our lives were transformed by Jesus, they need us to be in their lives still. Those shepherds that they would see in the morning that maybe would take over for them in second shift, those shepherds needed these shepherds to be life-transformed shepherds in their lives so that they could hear the good news of Jesus as well. They needed to be, mom, they needed to be husbands and sons and, and fathers that go home to their houses as transformed shepherds and share the good news in that place as well. As our lives are transformed, we've got to be people who live transformed lives in the same places that God had us before our lives were transformed. In the grocery stores, in the, in the neighborhood, on the sidelines of our kids' sports teams, in your, in your schools, kids, as your life is transformed by the glory and the power and the greatness of this good news, we need us to walk back into those places And share that good news. And that's the last invitation. It's an invitation that's too good to keep quiet. See, it tells us as they they leave there, they tell everybody. And everybody's amazed at the news that they hear from these shepherds. And here's the thing. I think this is so incredible. They hear this, this, this news from one angel that burst into thousands upon thousands of angels that could not keep it quiet that understood the gravity of what was going on. And as soon as those angels left, they went into the city. They behold the Lamb of God. And what do they do? They are people who can't keep it to themselves either. 
The song that the angels sing becomes the songs that the shepherds declare because they can't keep it to themselves either. The good news is just too good to keep quiet. When we really understand the gravity, the glory of God's good news of what he's done in sending his son for our, to a sacrifice sufficient for our sins, just like the angels, we won't need a lesson, an evangelism class. It'll be the song that we sing, the song that we cannot keep to ourselves. And many heard that song, and their lives were transformed as well. What happens in Luke chapter 2 is the very first missionaries leave the presence of God and share the message of Jesus Christ. The very first evangelism happens right there in the city of Bethlehem. As the good news of great joy for all the people grips the hearts of some lowly shepherds, some outsiders that can't keep it to themselves. And they share it with everybody that they meet. May we be a church that's so gripped, individuals that are so gripped with this good news that we cannot keep it to ourselves. And that we would share it with all that we meet. There's one last thing that I think that maybe, because I, I believe without a doubt that there's individuals that are in this room that, man, you've come for some one reason or another. Maybe it's just because... Somebody invited you, and I'm so thankful again that you made that courageous step. But maybe you listen to this, and you're like, man, that's for somebody else. That's not for me. Maybe, maybe you hear that, and you're like, well, if an angel of the Lord appeared to me, and a whole heavenly host of angels appeared after that, I would believe it too. And listen, I, I, I want to say, and this is something that one of, one of my friends said it this way, there's six lines that the angels have in the book of Luke. Six lines. We have 66 books of scripture that declare the same thing. It's not angels that are going to convince you. There were plenty of people that stood in the very presence of Jesus that were not convinced. That heard Jesus proclaim this, this that were not convinced. It's not going to be angels that transform you. The message of Christ is good and is powerful in this moment as it was as the angels proclaimed it. If you want, if you don't yet know Christ, it's not going to be some angels that, hear, that, that show up. It's going to be the word of God that transforms your life. And if you want to have a conversation about what that looks like, if you want to argue with me about it, that's fine. I'd love to take you to a cup of coffee. You can buy me coffee. I'll listen to you argue. And then I'll tell you about how Jesus can transform your life. It's not going to be angels that show up. It's going to be you understanding just how desperate you are in need of this same message that transformed the, these shepherds' lives. I'd love to have a conversation with you about what that looks like. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Be sure to share this episode with any friends and family in your life who may benefit from it. And make sure you're subscribed and get notified so you never miss a sermon. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download Church Center, our Rolling Hills app. Follow us on social media or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.